the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. Thank you, Chris. He's going to be with us all week as James Blinn had nerve enough, ladies and gentlemen, to take a week-long vacation with his family. Well, if you've seen his daughter, she's pretty cute. I can I can understand it, but of course, I'll never admit that to him upon his return. Anyway, I took a picture early this morning sitting at his desk, pretending to drink from his coffee cup. That will really freak him out. And um, I sent that on to him just to let him know that, you know, things are going on at pace without him. He'll be back on Monday. Well, today we had been working on a conversation with one of the Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys that represented Baron L. Stutzman, as you probably heard, and we'll talk more about this um, later in the program, but uh, the Supreme Court uh, remanded her case back to uh, this Washington Supreme Court, and the goal is... Uh, to have them revisit the decision made by the lower court uh, in the same way that the earlier decision on the the um, cake shop uh, was remanded and uh, the decision made based on the state's mishandling of um, the uh, the plaintiff in that case. So we're we're hopeful and we're going to try to get one of those attorneys tomorrow. The decision came down today, which meant they were probably really swamped with requests for interviews. So I'm hoping we can uh, arrange that. But today we are going to talk with Von Langenecker. Now, he may not be a name that you're familiar with, but he is making a significant impact in our community by conducting Christian heritage tours here for the state of Oregon. And you may be really surprised to learn uh, about the heritage, the Christian heritage of this area of the country. He conducts these tours and um, uh, helps us to better understand uh, what that history is as it relates to the Christian faith. So we're going to talk with him about those tours, which uh, are conducted throughout the summer. Uh, by the way, you can go to Christian News Northwest, and in the um, uh, the events section, they have uh, details of the dates and times and so on. You can check that out. But we'll tell you more about that if you're looking for something constructive to do with your sons and daughters who are enjoying their uh, their summer break. So that's coming up later in the program as well. Well, I have to tell you, I spent a great weekend with my family at Good Shepherd Church. They uh, they celebrated a patriotic Sunday, and it's uh, deliberately a date between Memorial Day and the 4th of July to honor those who uh, serve our country. And it was just a, a delight to spend time. Stu Weber, who, of course, has a tremendous military background, a decorated uh, chaplain for the Army, was also there. He was the speaker for the weekend. And it's just encouraging to be in a vibrant, uh, growing uh, body of believers um, who are putting into perspective uh, the responsibilities we have as citizens of heaven and the the charge that we have as citizens here as well. And I so appreciated Stu Weber putting into perspective what it means, for example, to uh, to give a pledge of the ele- of, of allegiance, rather, uh, what it means to be a citizen from a Christian perspective and how uh, one thing doesn't usurp our ultimate citizenship in heaven. It was just a great weekend. And if you ever have the opportunity to attend, and I, I think they've been doing this uh, similar service for many, many years. It's a great opportunity to just sit and 
and hear from those who have uh, have have and are serving our country and to uh, think about it all from a Christian perspective. So enjoyed having a long weekend at uh, Good Shepherd and uh, just wanted to thank the, uh, the the family there for welcoming Dan Rice and I. He played drums through the weekend. I had an opportunity to sing. Just just had a great time. Well, taking a look at some of the developing stories, uh, some lawmakers are remaining pretty optimistic that an immigration bill can, in fact, pass in the House this week. We'll have to wait and see. There is controversy, however, over the president's latest comments about U.S. policy and illegal immigrants who invade the United States. Democratic Representative Maxine Waters is encouraging her supporters to to harass rather Trump staffers uh, with the ongoing backlash to the administration's zero tolerance immigration policy. And there's growing concern about to whether or not this could escalate into violence. Nancy Pelosi rightly said this is, uh, she rebuked Maxine Waters and said this is not the right approach. The United States is preparing a timeline of requests for North Korea following the historic summit in Singapore that was held earlier this month, according to reports. And the Trump administration is reportedly planning new restrictions on Chinese investment, tax exports to Beijing, China. The president will uh, visit South Carolina on, uh, well, today to support Governor Henry McMaster in primary runoffs against uh, businessman John Warren, and multiple arrests had been made in the mistaken identity stabbing death of a teen member of a police youth program, according to the NYPD. Uh, last night. Roseanne Barr has broken down in her first interview since ABC canceled her uh, hit TV series over her racist tweets, and apparently the program has been picked up by ABC, Roseanne, without, well, her, Roseanne. Well, again, the lead story, the uh, battle at the border and the Capitol Hill is continuing. Republican leaders are trying to secure the votes they need for a wide-ranging, tweaked immigration bill they they hope will pass in the House this week. But multiple factors, wavering GOP support, voter wariness over amnesty of any kind, backlash over separation of children from their uh, parents who entered the country illegally, and uncertainty over their fate have cast doubt over whether Congress can come to any agreement over immigration reform. Representative Mike McCall, however, remains optimistic to a so-called consensus bill on immigration can be passed this week. Now, this despite the fact that the president said last week after they failed to pass the more conservative version of the legislation, you're wasting your time, wait until after the midterm elections. He told, uh, referring to Representative Mike McCall, he told Fox News Sunday, the biggest issue that needs to be addressed immediately is the separation of migrant children from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border. At minimum, we have to deal with the family situation. He's the chairman, by the way, of the House Homeland Security Committee, and he was speaking during an interview on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. It's inhumane, he went on to say. President Trump last week, as you might recall, signed an executive order aimed at stopping that separation. Still, even if McCall can garner enough Republican votes to pass the immigration legislation through the House, it seems unlikely to get past a filibuster in the Senate. McCall's comments came as the president tweeted on Sunday that people who invade the U.S. must get sent back to their home countries immediately without any court action. Trump wrote that the U.S. immigration system is laughed at all over the world and is very unfair to those who use legal avenues to gain entry. And there's some question about the constitutionality of whether or not the president meant once they enter the country, they should be sent back without due process or if he meant they should be prevented from entering the country at all. That uh, remains to be sorted out. Meanwhile, Maxine Waters has led... um, 
the tolerant left's crusade against Trump staffers. The Democratic representative encouraged her supporters to fight back against the Trump administration with backlash over the White House's zero tolerance immigration policy and said the people will absolutely harass Trump staffers. Speaking on MSNBC, the California congresswoman said current administration officials who defend Trump know what they're doing is wrong and said they soon won't be able to peacefully appear in public without being harassed. They're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store, Waters said. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them. Now, part of the problem with that is she doesn't know who's in the audience listening and to what extent they're willing to go to try to carry that out. As I mentioned, Nancy Pelosi rebuked the uh, congresswoman. A a wish list for North Korea is in the making. The United States is preparing specific asks in a timeline that's going to be presented to North Korean officials as a result of last month's historic summit, according to Reuters. The news agency, citing an unnamed U.S. defense official, reported that the U.S. hopes the presentation will show Pyongyang's level of interest in denuclearizing. Now we're getting specific. There will be specific asks and there will be specific timelines when we present the North Koreans with our concept of what implementation of a summit agreement looks like, the official reportedly said. The Associated Press reported that the Koreas in the the meantime are discussing the possible relocation of North Korea's long-range artillery system away from tense Korean borders. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a rather cloudy Monday afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. The president is preparing a plan that will further ramp up trade concerns with China. That plan would bar uh, many Chinese companies from investing in U.S. technology firms and block additional technology exports to Beijing, according to Dow Jones. While the curbs are reportedly set to be announced by the end of the week, they're aimed at preventing Beijing from moving ahead with plants outlined in its uh, Made in China 2025 report to become a global leader in 10 broad areas of technology. The Treasury Department would block firms with at least 25 percent Chinese ownership from buying companies involved in what the White House calls industrially significant technology. Now, there's been the the threat of technology being stolen, and that is at the the core of this uh, new effort. Well, if you're looking for a Trump bump, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster is hoping that uh, the full-fledged support of President Trump and his administration will be enough to sway voters in the Palmetto State to go to the polls for him in his runoff against businessman John Warren. McMaster, who ascended to his post after Trump picked his predecessor, Nikki Haley, to be the United States ambassador to the U.N., uh, saw the majority of South Carolina Republicans vote against him in this month's gubernatorial primary, while Warren has won the support from the third and fourth place finishers in the race and Republican Representative Ralph Norman. So this is a pretty big uh, hill to climb. The White House is throwing everything at its disposal into the race to save McMaster, who went out on a political limb for Trump at a critical point in the 2016 Republican presidential primaries. Trump issued several tweets over the past week praising the governor and noting his loyalty. He dispatched Vice President Pence to the state on Saturday, will himself stump for him today, this afternoon, tonight, uh, in um, West Columbia. 
And multiple people have been arrested in connection with the brutal murder of a 15-year-old boy in New York City, the New York Police Department said on Monday. While officials didn't immediately identify how many arrests were made or who was arrested, the New York Post reported, citing police sources, that five people were arrested in the slayings of Lesarandio um, Jr. Guzman Filez in Bronx. Uh, Two suspects reportedly were taken into custody in the Bronx, while three more were tracked down to Patterson, New Jersey. Well, the attack stemmed from a case of mistaken identity, according to the paper. Members of the uh, Trinitario street gangs reportedly apologized to Guzman Feliz's family and said it wasn't supposed to be him. Uh, The family said he was uh, enrolled in the NYPD Explorers Youth Program and his dream was to be a detective for the city. Roseanne Barr broke down in tears during her first interview after her racist tweet prompted ABC to cancel the high-profile revival of Roseanne. She recorded a podcast interview with her longtime friend, Rabbi Shmuley Botich, uh, who on Sunday published an edited uh, transcript and recording of the conversation. Barr described herself as a hate magnet unworthy of being defended. I've lost everything, Barr said on the podcast, and I've regretted, uh, regretted it before. I lost everything. On this day in 2009, the uh, death claims uh, both the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, and Charlie's Angels icon, Farrah Fawcett. In 1947, rather, on this date, the Diary of a Young Girl, the personal journal of Anne Frank, a German-born Jewish girl hiding with her family from the Nazis in Amsterdam during World War II, is first published by her father. And in 1876, Lieutenant Colonel uh, George Custer and his 7th Cavalry were wiped out by Sioux and Cheyenne Indians in the Battle of the Little Bighorn in Montana. Just a little glimpse at history. Well, the FBI on Friday sent a classified letter to House GOP officials disclosing whether the agency used top secret confidential informants in the Trump campaign prior to opening an investigation into Russian election meddling. Congressional Republicans had formally demanded an explanation from the FBI after numerous former Trump officials said they suspected the agency had attempted to infiltrate the campaign. In a letter to House Intelligence Committee Chair Devin Nunez, Republican out of California, the FBI says its confidential explanation outlined whether the FBI utilized confidential human sources prior to the issuance of the electronic communication initiating that investigation. The agency added that it had forwarded House Republicans' request for summaries and transcripts of any conversations between Trump officials and informants to the Director of National Intelligence. But the congressman um, said that... Um, Uh, He wasn't satisfied with the FBI's reply and sent a letter to Rosenstein demanding more answers, including an explanation of how many informants were used and at what expense by Monday evening. Well, it's Monday evening there now. We'll see what happens next. There's lots of questions that are unanswered. House Judiciary Chairman uh, Bob Goodlot said in an exclusive interview Sunday morning, Futures rather, GOP Representative Peter King echoed that sentiment on Sunday, saying that there's a continual bad faith from the FBI and the Department of Justice. Allegations that the FBI attended to attempted rather to infiltrate the Trump campaign prior to the initiation of the formal Russian probe on the 31st of July of 2016 have roiled Washington with numerous findings of anti-Trump bias among top officials at that agency. In one instance, 
substance uh, over drinks one evening at a high-end London hotel in the summer of 2016. An alleged FBI informant reportedly asked former Trump advisor George Papadopoulos if he knew anything about Russian attempts to influence the 2016 presidential election. If the FBI or DOJ has infiltrated a campaign for the benefit of another campaign, that is a really big deal, President Trump tweeted back in May. Our efforts have resulted in the uh, committees finally getting access to information that was sought months ago, but some important requests remain to be completed. Again, that cutoff of uh, this evening has um, either come or come and gone in Washington, and I'm sure we'll read some headlines tomorrow as to what uh, the um, ultimatum ultimately will be. Well, a federal judge is uh, hearing arguments or heard arguments that could force the federal government to allow lawyers access to immigration detainees being housed at a federal prison in Sheridan, Oregon. For weeks, immigration attorneys say they've been turned away from the prison outside Salem while trying to represent more than 120 detainees being held there by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Most of the men being detained are asylum seekers, according to the lawyers seeking access to them. Also, those attorneys say none of the detainees have pending criminal charges that would justify keeping them behind bars. Lawyers with the ACLU of Oregon say it's highly unusual to hold asylum seekers in a federal prison, especially ones who don't have a pending criminal charge. Well, attorneys with the Oregon Federal Public Defender's Office and the Mexican Consulate in Portland are among the few that have been allowed inside to meet with those detainees. The ACLU of Oregon filed a lawsuit Friday arguing the federal government is violating the constitutional rights of immigration detainees at the federal prison. The suit was filed on behalf of immigration attorneys and one of the detainees at the Sheraton prison. As part of the lawsuit, plaintiffs asked D.C. District Court Judge Michael Simon for a temporary restraining order to allow the immigration attorneys inside the prison. On Sunday, the federal government responded to the lawsuit. Attorneys for the government wrote that officials at Sheridan learned on the 30th of May they were receiving approximately 130 ICE detainees. It was at that point, uh, due to the limited information the Bureau of Prisons has regarding each of the detainees, the need to conduct and complete appropriate medical screening, and the need to complete the other administrative tasks necessary to safely house the alien detainees at the Federal Detention Center, uh, was not able to finalize the visitation procedures for these inmates until the 18th of June. Government attorneys told the court that um, the the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, was aware of the need to allow such visitation, however, and has now implemented procedures for attorneys to visit alien detainees housed at Sheraton, alleging that it was a matter of the timing rather than whether or not they had legal access. And federal officials issued an eviction notice uh, today for the protesters at the Portland ICE facility six days after the office closed due to protesters. Federal officials told them that the uh, Portland ICE facility, they could face arrest and prosecution if they continue to block the building's entrances and driveways. Uh, today marks the sixth day the Portland ICE office has closed with the protest at the federal facility. Federal Pro- uh, Protective Services gave individual Occupy ICE PDX protesters notices to vacate the federal property uh, by 10 a.m., uh, rather starting at 10 a.m. And while demonstrators have a lawful right to assemble and voice their concerns, blocking the building's driveways or entrances is not permitted under federal law, according to Billy Williams, U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon. Protesters who remain at or remained at the ICE facility and block entrances, foyers, um, lobbies, corridors, offices, and parking lots face arrest and prosecution in federal court. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this uh, next hour, we're going to talk with Von Longenecker. 
He conducts the Oregon Christian Heritage Tours. Um, We'll give you all the important details. A great opportunity to spend about four and a half hours with the family, learning a little bit about Oregon's Christian history. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. (laughs) We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, later in the next hour, we're going to talk with Vaughn Longenecker. He's with the uh, Oregon Christian Heritage Tours, and it's a great uh, opportunity for you and your family to learn a little bit about this place we call home. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court said the case of floral artist Baronel Stutzman, owner of Arlene's Flowers, back to the Washington Supreme Court today after vacating that court's decision and instructing it to reconsider her lawsuit in light of the recent decision in Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom filed a, a supplemental brief asking the court to send the case back to consider the alleged religious bias that requires a reversal like the Masterpiece Cake Shop. In fact, there's uh, so many similarities, it's almost um, identical in terms of the state's response. In that similar case, the court reversed Colorado's decision to punish cake artist Jack Phillips uh, for living and working consistently with his religious beliefs about marriage, just as Stutzman has uh, been uh, trying to do while under legal attack by Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson and the American Civil Liberties Union. Well, the two sued Stutzman after she declined because of her uh, sincerely held religious beliefs to design a custom floral arrangement celebrating the same-sex wedding of a customer she had served for nearly 10 years. Well, um, the Attorney General Ferguson failed to prosecute a business that berated and discriminated against Christian customers, uh, but uh, F- uh, Ferguson has on his own initiative pursued unprecedented measures to punish 73-year-old Stutzman, not just in her capacity as a business owner, but also in her personal capacity. Her personal assets, including her life savings, are at stake in this case. And after Ferguson attained a court order allowing him to uh, collect on Stutzman's personal assets, he publicized a letter offering to settle the case for $2,000.01. In exchange, he demanded that Stutzman give up her religious and artistic freedom. When the court's masterpiece cake shop ruling, it condemned those one-sided discriminatory applications of the law against people of faith. The U.S. Supreme Court has made a positive move by asking the Washington Supreme Court to consider Baronel Stutzman's case in light of the recent masterpiece, Cake Shop. Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, is quoted as saying, he went on to say Washington Attorney General Ferguson's efforts to punish Baronel because he disagrees with her beliefs about marriage are as hostile and unconstitutional as Colorado's attempt to punish Jack for his faith. Well, the court denounced government hostility toward the religious beliefs about marriage held by creative professionals in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Both Baronel and Jack served all customers, yet they have a First Amendment right to decline using their artistic talent to celebrate an event that conflicts with their religious beliefs. So it has been remanded back to the Supreme Court in the state of Washington, and we can watch with interest what happens next. Well, a group of nine House Republican lawmakers has signed a letter asking uh, Deputy Attorney General uh, Rod Rosenstein to provide the names of everyone, past and present, who's worked on special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. The lawmakers say they're uh, disturbed by the initial uh, appointments, rather, to the probe of agents and attorneys with an anti-Trump bias. Their letter specifically referenced uh, Agent Peter Stroke and Attorney Lisa Page, as well as Attorney Kevin 
uh, Kleinsmith. We know that these biases were shared among multiple people at the FBI and could be easily uncovered by Mueller with simple vetting, the letter says. These individuals should not have been given an opportunity to influence directly or indirectly the special counsel investigation. Well, the letter also adds that the lawmakers are concerned that there may be more politically biased investigators working on Mueller's team. Republicans have said they believe uh, Kleinsmith uh, is the attorney identified in the Department of Justice's investor, inve- inspector, rather, inspector general Michael Horowitz report on the Hillary Clinton email investigation as attorney two. The Horowitz report released earlier this month includes messages from attorney two lamenting Trump's election as well as a, a, a missive reading Viva la Resistance. Well, Stroke and Page were removed from the Mueller investigation last year after Horowitz office informed Mueller about their anti-Trump messages. Attorney two Two, believed to be Kleinsmith, was the primary FBI attorney assigned to the Mueller investigation, but left the probe in February of this year, perhaps uh, seeing the handwriting on the wall. Congress's constitutional oversight gives us the responsibility to know. The letter concludes whether other members of the Mueller team harbors political biases and have conflicts of interest. These investigators endanger our ability to uphold justice. The letter is signed by Representatives Andy Biggs, Scott uh, Dejaris, uh, Jeff Duncan, Matt Gates, Paul Gossier, Andy Harris, Jody Heiss, Scott Perry and Ralph Norman, all Republicans, all members of the House. A sharply divided Supreme Court today kept in place most of a controversial Texas uh, redistricting. Uh, <laughs> I can say this word. I really can't. Redistricting. I want to say redistributing, although it sort of applies. Redistricting plan enacted by the GOP-led legislature, despite lawsuits from civil rights groups claiming it was discriminatory. Well, the case involved claims of racial gerrymandering, that election maps had been had the effect of harming the voting rights of blacks and Hispanic voters. The 5-4 decision kept in place all but one challenge district, striking down the conclusions of a special three-judge federal panel that had ruled against the state. Well, that judicial panel, though, initially had approved the voting maps in an interim basis, boundaries that were subsequently enacted by the state legislature. That said, Justice Samuel Alito, for the conservative majority, showed a presumption of good faith. The lower court said Alito enacted with only very small changes plans that had been developed by the Texas court. He added, all these facts gave the legislature good reason to believe that the court approved interim plans were legally sound. Well, the court today goes out of its way to permit the state of Texas to use the maps that the three-judge district court unanimously found were adopted for the purpose of preserving the racial discrimination that tainted its previous maps. That according to Justice Sonia Sotomayor. The state had objected to earlier court-imposed plans, while civil rights groups had asked the justices to resolve the uh, extent partisan gerrymandering claims can be uh, litigated. Well, the lower court had ordered two congressional districts and state house districts in four counties to be redrawn in time for the 2018 elections, but the high court blocked that mandate last year. Primary elections were held in March under the existing challenged maps. The Supreme Court did find one state district, HD 90, was an impermissible racial gerrymandering. Again, this is the end of the season for the U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McLean 
has temporarily stopped referring for prosecution adults who attempt to cross the border illegally with children, he told reporters today. In comments first reported by the Associated Press, McLean said that he ordered CPB, the Customs and Border Patrol agents, to stop referring parents to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution hours after the president signed an executive order Wednesday, ending the practice of separating families at the border. McLean's uh, ad- admission comes as Attorney General Jeff Sessions said in Reno, Nevada, that federal prosecution of adults who cross the border illegally would continue despite the president's executive order. Those prosecutions cannot occur without referrals from the CBP, again, Customs and Border Protection. Um, McLean, uh, his admission comes at that time in the, pres- the uh, president's executive order, which prohibits the separation of children from parents awaiting prosecution for crossing the border illegally, reportedly sparked widespread confusion among Department of Homeland Security officials about how exactly to enforce it. The officials were not told about the order in advance and were unsure how to proceed with criminal prosecutions without separating families because of a 1997 consent decree, which established that minors cannot be held in federal custody for longer than 20 days. In addition to the legal obstacle preventing prolonged detention of children, there are not enough shelters equipped to house families, exacerbating confusion about how exactly to comply with the order. McLean Um, He said that he is uh, working on a plan that would allow the uh, CPB to resume referring adults for prosecution and congressional Republicans uh, are looking for that clarification. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 48 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Vaughn Longenecker. He hosts Oregon Christian Heritage Tours in Salem. And it's a great uh, a great tour for you and your family during these uh, summer months. He also does other things during the school year, but we'll talk about that when he joins us at 5 o'clock. Well, the Trump administration says that it has accounted for all immigrant children who've been separated from their families after illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border and is working to reunite him. A fact sheet released uh, late on Saturday by agencies involved in the separations reported that 522 children have been reunited with adults, uh, adults, not necessarily parents. Another 16 reunions scheduled for Friday were delayed because of the weather affecting travel, but U.S. Customs and Border Patrol said those reunions were expected to take place by the end of the weekend. Well, the uh, uh, Customs and Border Patrol added that some children were never taken into custody by Health and Human Services because their parents' criminal cases were processed too quickly. HHS previously said that 2,053 minors who were separated at the border were being cared for in its facilities uh, as of last Wednesday when the president signed an executive order. Uh, stopping the separations. Officials have said as many as 2,300 children have been separated from uh, the time the policy began until the 9th of June. It was not clear whether any of the 2,000 remaining children uh, were taken into custody after June the 9th. So that process apparently has begun in earnest. Meanwhile, conservative Republican members of Congress are sharply criticizing their Democratic colleagues on immigration. There's no news there. They're accusing them, however, of wanting to go back to so-called catch-and-release policies for illegal immigrants. Only 19% of American uh, American people support the Democratic position, so says Representative Paul Labrador out of Idaho, citing a new Economist's YouGov poll. Catch-and-release is the controversial practice where immigrants who enter the country illegally 
are released from custody and told to show up to a court hearing at a designated later date. Republicans contend that the vast majority do not appear for those hearings, which usually occur three to five years later. Labrador referenced the Economist YouGov poll conducted in June, the 17th through the 19th. Only 1,500 U.S. adults at the monthly Conversations with Conservatives event on Capitol Hill. The poll also found that a majority of Americans support keeping illegal immigrant families together, with 44% saying that those families should be detained together until a court hearing determined whether they would be allowed to stay in the United States, a practice that was put in place Wednesday by President's Uh, President Trump via executive order. The poll also found that only 12% of Americans supported detaining parents and keeping their children in separate shelters, while 8% supported holding children in juvenile detention centers. The vast majority understand that uh, we have to have a zero tolerance policy for people coming into the United States, Labrador said, but what they want to uh, want is to keep families together while rather while they're being detained. A uh, California federal judge ruled back in 2015, now this wasn't covered much at the time because it didn't fit the media's narrative, but they uh, ruled, a a federal judge ruled back in 2015 that hundreds of mothers and their children held for illegally crossing the border must be released immediately, finding their detention a serious violation of a long-standing court settlement and the conditions of their facilities grossly uh, inadequate. Judge Dolly M. Gee of the Federal District Court for the Central District of California rejected the Obama administration's argument for holding the families, saying they violated the long-standing class action suit known as the Flores Settlement, which governs the treatment of unaccompanied minors apprehended at the border. Gee slammed the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Obama administration, and other federal officials in the ruling for allowing children to be held in facilities that were of widespread and deplorable conditions. In addition, Gee noted that the federal officials had failed to meet even the minimum standards of safe and sanitary holding cells. Gee ruled on a lawsuit filed earlier that year by Peter Shea and Carlos Hongwin, Lawyers at the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law in Los Angeles, Shea at the time of the ruling, felt it marked the beginning of the end for the Obama administration's immigrant family detention policy. And that policy that just targets mothers and children is not rational and it's inhumane. Jay Johnson, then Secretary of Homeland Security, claimed the administration initially began detaining immigrants at the border to send a message. There were adults who brought their children with them. Again, our message to this group is simply, we will send you back. We are building additional spaces uh, to detain these groups and hold them until their expedited removal orders are effectuated. Last week, we opened a detention facility in Artesia, New Mexico, for this purpose, and we are building more detention space quickly, Johnson said in an official statement before the Senate Committee on Appropriations in 2014. I bring it up to highlight the fact that the media picks and chooses moments of outrage and manipulating the outrage of the general public. Now, this was unacceptable then. It's unacceptable uh, when it takes place under the current administration. But when they choose to highlight certain things at certain times in order to accomplish a a particular goal, um, it really illustrates how... um, Journalism has declined over time. I spoke to, a, or at least uh, via email to someone, uh, and I ma- tried to make this point in that email, and uh, she rightly said, well, if something like this had happened, and we were referring to uh, other cases similar to this where their detentions were being uh, made and uh, children were being separated from their parents, she said, I would like to think that I would have heard about it. The point is, you didn't hear about it because they didn't make a big deal about it at the time. This is one example of what's gone on 
uh, for many administrations. The media picks and chooses how to manipulate the outrage of the general public to accomplish a particular end. Uh, What was unacceptable then is unacceptable now. What's happening now was happening then. Um, But the outrage is carefully chosen to uh, facilitate a particular outcome. Use discernment. uh, Know the history of a subject and what has happened, what the law has to say, so that we are careful thinkers and that we uh, don't allow our outrage to be manipulated, as we are seeing today. Um, Catherine Roloff wrote a piece I thought was... um, uh, was certainly uh, telling, and we need to be thinking about this in view of the the controversial issues in, regarding the treatment of children uh, who are coming into the country. She writes that if you were parents, Representative uh, Paul Labrador asked Thursday, would you send your child hundreds and hundreds of miles with human traffickers that are evil people that are doing harm to them during the trip? So don't just think about the kids in the detention facilities. Think about all those children traveling to the border. He said during a monthly Conversations with Conservatives event that I referenced earlier, ahead of the first two um, House votes on immigration legislation address both border security and legal process for deferred action for childhood arrivals recipients. He expressed concern that if a a tough immigration reform bill is not put in place, more and more children seeking asylum will be injured, sexually assaulted or even killed on their journey to the border. And when this is brought up, it's often referred to as a pretext to oppose immigration. Uh, whether or not you think that's the case, it is a real and genuine concern that ought to be uh, considered and dealt with. He went on to say that if you do not uh, react to these pictures of children in detention centers, you are not human. You have to understand that watching these pictures is devastating, Labrador said at the event in which members of the House Freedom Caucus regularly participate. But I also want the media to concentrate on the other pictures that I have uh, seen, he said. The pictures of the rape tree in northern Mexico where girls are being raped, and they know that that is the price they have to pay to come to the United States. The four-term congressman said that he has heard that children younger than five years of age are crossing the border alone with help of traffickers. He even found that 10,000 of the 12,000 children in detention centers arrived in the United States without any parents. Children are being lost because we have allowed a culture that has increased uh, illegal immigration in the United States, uh, he said. Um, And by the way, Labrador, who was born in Puerto Rico, says it's encouraging families to leave these children alone and actually send them on the trips that are hundreds and hundreds of miles by themselves. Now, he wasn't suggesting it's an either or that you accept uh, the separation of uh, children from their families and only focus on this. He points to both things as being unacceptable, and we need to have as much attention focused on the plight of these children as well. You might have noted that uh, last Friday the president uh, faced uh, a criticism over separating migrant families who illegally crossed the border. Uh, but he also focused on those whose uh, families have been destroyed from those coming into the country acting illegally. Now, this is by no means to suggest that every person who enters the country illegally uh, is responsible for or is a, a criminal alien. But uh, he did feature what are called um Angel families. Among those families uh, were, was uh, Laura Wilkinson, who recalled the 2010 slaying of her son, Josh, saying he was brutally tortured, strangled over and over. He was set on fire after death. His last hours were brutal. She stood on a stage at the Eisenhower Executive Office building with the president, administration officials and family members of 13 other victims of crimes by illegal immigrants. They were among the angel families advocating strong enforcement of immigration laws featured at this event by the president um, over, or I should say, on Friday. 
All right, we're going to take a break here for news and traffic at the top of the hour. Once again, we're going to talk with Von Longenecker with the Oregon Christian Heritage Tours. You can find out more about that at Christian News Northwest in their events section, but we'll give you all the important details if you and your family would like to take advantage of the opportunity to hear about uh, the fact that there is a Christian heritage in the founding of this particular region of the country. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show, and we're glad to have you with us. Well, summer is officially upon us, and this gives families an opportunity to do some fun things through the summer months. Few things are not only fun, but they're also edifying and educational. And we're going to talk with Von Longenecker, who's been hosting Oregon Christian History Tours for some time here in the state of Oregon. Now, we know that today the Portland metro area, at least, is has the designation, the dubious designation of being the least churched uh, community in the country. But what about the state of Oregon and its history. Is there a Christian history, a Christian heritage to be discovered? Well, Von Longenecker joins us to talk about just that, the Oregon Christian History Tours. Von, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, and, and thank you very much, Georgine. I wanted to uh, thank you for being one of the best interviewers that I've ever heard and you have served the community for many years and are actually uh, uh, adding much to the Christian uh, heritage legacy for us. So I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that encouragement. Thank you so much. I think for many of us who live in Oregon in the 21st century, it's difficult to to look back. We've had something of a sordid history in the state and imagine that there is a Christian heritage to be discovered. Uh, Let's talk about your interest, first of all, in exposing uh, Christian heritage for the sake of uh, this and future generations. Well, you know, I've been studying the Christian heritage in in Oregon, uh, the Northwest, for about 25 years and been doing the presentations and tours for about 20. And one of the things that I found is that there's actually a lack of understanding of what history and heritage is, especially among the church. Mm -hmm. And so what one of the points that I start the the tours and the presentations with is reminding uh, us of the sovereignty of God's will in all of history. Because so often I see that the church has taken on the view of the world for history, which is basically dates and dead people. Hmm. So it's it's not surprising that many people aren't interested Mm -hmm. or don't see the relevance for them in what's going on. And they they don't have God's perspective or a providential perspective. And yet we see in God's Word over and over again, He says to remember, remember, for the point of remembering Him. And as we, we see in First Timothy, He says, uh, um, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and in First uh, Chronicles uh, 16, he says, Seek the Lord and his strength and seek the presence continually. Remember the, the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and his judgments that he has uttered. And the work that was done here in the Northwest was a miraculous love story that is truly unparalleled in history. Mm. Um, that is so little known. I've, I've talked with 
hundreds, perhaps thousands of people about this, uh, whether it be at the tours or just uh, going different places. And um, I've talked with Josh McDowell. I've talked with David uh, Barton. I've talked with uh, professors. I've talked with missionaries. And they don't, they've never heard this, um, uh, any kind of story like it that parallels anywhere in history, ever. Um, so it is, it is quite unique, but the real point is to um, have the Holy Spirit be the tour guide so that you're looking at this from God's perspective. Yeah. So it gives one the understanding when you come to things, well, it doesn't look like they were successful in what they did. Um, why don't we have this today? And I say, well, the same thing that happened in Israel. They've turned away from God. Hmm. Yeah. But the, the particulars of the story, um, in, the, in 1831, uh, there were um, uh, Nez Perce Nation, which is Eastern Oregon, Western uh, Idaho area, had gotten bits and pieces of Christianity uh, from some Jesuit priests and from Jedediah Smith and some other sources. They were getting bits and pieces. And they had a Romans 1 uh, awakening, and they had a council, and they decided that they would send four emissaries out to find either Lewis or Clark, because they knew they were the representatives of this great people that had this great book, which they called the White Man's Book of Heaven, and, and those to bring and teach it to them. So they set out in 1831. <clears throat> they arrive not really knowing where they're going to go, and they're going through enemy territory, and they get to St. Louis, and Clark is there. In fact, he's in charge of Indian affairs. And they ask him for the white man's book of heaven and, and for someone to come and, and teach them this. Uh, this is the only time that I know of, and I say, as I mentioned, I've talked with lots of people about mm -hmm. this, where an indigenous people go to such extent through dangerous territories to get the gospel. Now, they didn't term it that way, but that's indeed what they were seeking and what they eventually do receive. It's unparalleled. You know, uh, Queen of Sheba may be somewhat close in that she goes up to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So the word of this gets back to the East Coast, and so we'd already had the Great Awakening, um, the Second Great Awakening in America. So the church was healthy. It was actually prepared. It had prepared itself for these kind of things and others. The missionaries were exploding. There were a lot of missions that were in the early 1800s in America. And when they heard of these Indians who had come out of, uh, they, uh, out of the, the darkness to ask for the Bible, uh, they recognized this as a clear call of God. And they actually called it the Macedonian Call of the West. Mm. And so they, <clears throat> there were many that responded, but the first to respond were the Methodist Episcopal uh, Church and Jason Lee and four others. And uh, they came uh, in 1834 out to the West. Uh, they, they, don't, they do go through the Nez Perce Nation, 
Um, and they, but they go to uh, Vancouver because they realize this is uh, with McLaughlin. This is kind of the center of what's going on, and he actually has a fair amount of authority. So they wanted to kind of get a sense of of what was going there, and also to seek God's will. I have Jason Lee's diaries, and over and over again, he's pleading with God, "Lord, show me where you want me to be and what you want me to do." He's really got a, a tender heart. It's a true love story. And this and, is a history that, that we just are largely ignorant of because it's not widely available. Why yes. do you think it's important for us as believers today to have a better understanding of an appreciation of what God was doing in this territory, this geography, um, and, and helping us to imagine what God might do in our time with us? Mm-hmm. Well, the center of the this this message, this this story is the gospel. That's why they came to bring God's word. And as it says in in John six uh, twenty nine, when Jesus asked, "What is the work of God that you would believe in the one that He sent?" So the center of this is the gospel, and and that's the center of what God is saying when He says to remember Me. So when we see in in lots of history all over. God is working sovereignly. God is working to have those know him. That is exactly what they did here. And when they go eventually to Salem, uh, there are others who do go to the Nez Pierce later, but they go to Salem and he establishes the church. It was the first church in, in the West. We're going, to take a, we're going to take a quick break. Hold that thought. Okay. We'll continue in just sure. a moment. Again, we're talking sure. this afternoon with uh, Von Longenecker. He uh, holds Oregon Christian Heritage Tours, and you may want to avail yourselves of uh, the advantage of learning a bit of the history of what God has done in this part of the, the world. I think it's inspiring for us to, to consider what God might do with us in our time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing a conversation with Von Longenecker. He holds Oregon Christian Heritage Tours. He's a busy man and yet makes time to help educate those of us who are followers of Christ to trace God's hand in the area that he has assigned us to. I attended a service on Sunday, and one of the things that the speaker, uh, Stu Weber, uh, in fact, uh, was saying was the fact that God has chosen us to be in this place at this time, and we want to be faithful stewards of the time that we're in and understanding a bit of the, the Christian heritage in this region uh, may be very helpful to us. Now, Vaughn, just before the break, you were talking about uh, the movement in Salem and churches being established. Why don't you pick up where you left off? Yeah, yeah so Jason Lee does establish a mission in uh, Salem in 1834. And as a result, he, one of the things that occurs first is he has a lot of orphan Indian orphans that come there asking for help. So he, he establishes an orphanage. And that orphanage eventually becomes Willamette University. Hmm. So he establishes the first uh, educational system that is the university that continues to this day. It's the uh, oldest university west of the Missouri River. Okay. And while he's here, he recognizes the need for security and order. So he, he actually holds what are called at first the Wolf Meetings and the Shampooey Meetings, and uh, initiates what becomes Oregon's government. Okay. So we have a missionary who has come with the unique call of these indigenous peoples 
who establishes the church, establishes the educational system, and initiates the government. And as I mentioned, I've talked with lots of people, and I've asked them, have you ever heard of such a thing anywhere in history? closest thing that I've ever heard is the Mormons, but they don't have their same government that we have today, which was initiated by them. So this is a sovereign work of God that was because of the gospel, because of the requests by the indigenous peoples, and because of the response by the church. They were ready, and um, they responded with the work of God. And that is actually what I kind of close the tours uh, with, is a challenge. As you were mentioned, uh, um, Stu Weber, I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, uh, that you'd heard him talking about mm, the need for relevance in our day, which is always what the, the Word of God is bringing. Remember God's work so that you will know His work now that you are called to do. And so we have a relevant story that was at the roots of our uh, heritage, our beginnings, which are similar in some ways like with Israel. Uh, God continues to remind them, hey, I've done this. I've done this. Don't you remember? I can do this now. Mm. And so this is what has brought this to a um, a relevance for today. Mm, so, so wonderful. Now let's talk about the tour itself. Where does it begin and how do you conduct uh, a Christian heritage mm-hmm. tour? Yeah, usually we're in Salem and there are five sites. And um, <clears throat> uh, we gather at uh, Willamette Mission State Park and there is a what's called a ghost structure. It's a re- recreation of the original mission house that was there. The house is gone, but there's this metal frame structure. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. And so uh, often what I'll do is actually start the, the tours with 12 stones, 12 stones to, rem- to remind us that we, uh, we need reminders of what God's work is. Mm-hmm. 12 stones, I ask the kids, you know, hey, why do I have 12 stones here? And usually, especially the homeschoolers, We'll get it. They go, oh, yeah, I remember they took 12 stones. Uh, each tribe took out uh, 12 stones out of the uh, Jordan River. Um, and um, yeah. and then we go to these memorials that we fortunately still have. So we go to the site where it first started. Then they had uh, flooding, so they moved into what is closer to what we call Salem today. And we have his house that he built which is at Mission Mill Museum, and it's the oldest uh, framewood house west of the Missouri River, and yet most people don't know mm-hmm. uh, about this story or these these memorials. And so like with the memorial that Joshua has put up, that we uh, have our kids come along and say, well, what is this about, Dad? And most of us don't know why that house is there, why that ghost structure is there, or even go to them. <laughs> we don't know. So we go to the, we go to the, also to the grounds of the Capitol because uh, the, Jason Lee initiated the, the government and we talk about government. We go across the street to Willamette um, uh, University and talk about education. 
and talk about the principles. I do what I kind of call faith lessons. And so we use some scripture in talking about the fundamentals of these institutions and how it's centered around the gospel. That's how they came to be, which is how God brings everything uh, in life um, and brings the order and the the purpose that uh, it should have. Uh, We then finally uh, end um, at uh, the cemetery, Willamette Cemetery, um, and talk about the seed that was set for us, that was given by these uh, men and women of faith who invested their lives, and many died in the process. Yeah, many of us know nothing of that that history and the sacrifices that were made in order that the gospel uh, might be made known here in this territory. And many of us are the beneficiaries of their work and are unaware of that history. So this uh, this tour of uh, Christian heritage gives us a sense that this is uh, a sacred place that God established for his purposes, and we are a part of that ongoing story. So it, it's absolutely relevant. I think it's hopeful to us, and it gives us a sense of real perspective. Now, how long does the tour uh, typically take, and how do people who are interested in taking the tour uh, make that arrangement? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the tour is usually about four and a half hours, and <clears throat> I do charge uh, $3 per person or $10 for a family. Anybody under 14 is free. <clears throat> um, and uh, get in touch with me. They can. They could call my phone number. I, I can give that to, uh, over the. If you don't mind, sure. Want. Yeah, it's five zero three seven zero nine zero seven seven nine, or they can email me, which is my name V A U G H N Longenecker L O N G A N E C K E R at gmail dot com. And I'll make sure that's on the uh, Georgine Rice Show Facebook page uh, so that folks who aren't able to write it down will be able to access it. Yeah. And there's a, in the Christian News Northwest, there's a, in their events calendar, I also have posted the um, tour dates. If there are groups, I do do presentations for you know groups, large groups, or if there's another date other than those uh, dates I've listed. Um, that's a possibility as well. Okay. So once again, the telephone number, 503-709-0779. You can also email uh, Vaughn at Vaughn Longenecker at gmail.com, and we'll spell that out on the website. Or you can check the Christian News Northwest events calendar for details as well. And I have to tell you, for all of the work and study and the commitment that you've made to volunteer to do these tours, to charge $3 per person or $10 per family, it, 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 that's an incredibly generous uh, opportunity for um, an individual or for a family to learn something of the Christian heritage that we have inherited uh, and for you to take the time to make that known. Can you stay with us for one more segment? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. We'll put you on hold and, uh, and be back in just a moment. Again, we're talking with Von Longenecker. He hosts the Christian uh, Heritage Tours, and it's a tremendous opportunity for us to learn something of the history that relates to our faith. Yes, right here in the Pacific Northwest. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've been talking with Von Longenecker. He's uh, now retired, although he's been conducting these tours for quite some time. He has uh, devoted his, himself to providing this opportunity for us to learn something of our Christian heritage here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he has three children, 14 grandchildren, just got the first great-grandchild a few days ago. He's uh, very busy, and yet he's made himself available uh, to help us better understand the history that we are inheritors of here uh, in the state of uh, of Oregon, how many years have you been conducting uh, these Christian heritage tours in the summer? Yes, um, that's primarily in the summer. I do presentations as they come up uh, at any time during the year, but the tours are uh, yeah in the summer when we've got better weather in Oregon. Yeah, how many years have you been doing that? Uh, um, um, about twenty years for presentation and tours. Which is uh, just incredible. What started you studying that history? Uh, Was it for your own uh, personal growth and understanding of God's work in our area? Or were you thinking about uh, the need for the broader Christian uh, community to understand that history? Well, uh, I did have an inclination towards history and just knowing uh, God's heritage. And so we were homeschooling. And so I wanted to find something that had a Christian history in um, about Oregon. I didn't know much about it. And I came across a book called The Conquerors in an old bookstore, which I'm kind of an old bookstore addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it was like an epiphany. This, this book was giving me this story, the basics of this story, and I thought, this is this is amazing. I, I almost couldn't believe what, what this was saying, that it was so rich. I was getting a little bit from here and there, and I was asking uh, different people around, and most people didn't know much of anything. And yet, here was this heritage that, oh, um, 60 or so years ago, many more people knew and 70 or 80 years ago, they would even have um, assemblies and, and talk about it. And, uh, and there were much more books that were written. And there are some great resources. The Conquerors is, is one. <clears throat> um, Jason Lee, Prophet of New Oregon uh, by Brosnan, is also a good uh, resource. So if people want to do their own research, um, uh so, Missionary History of the Pacific Northwest uh, by, um, uh, forgetting the name. Well, of the, the, the title will probably uh, help folks find yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an old piece. Lots of uh, things that were written some time ago and by people who were there. So, we have uh, you know original resource. Um, uh, and... I started to teach it to my children first and found this was such a remarkable story. I needed to share it with others. And we're certainly grateful that you that you have. What difference for you has it made uh, understanding that history and how God has moved in this area in making you feel connected to that history and also moving you forward in fulfilling God's purpose in your life? Well, as I mentioned, one of the things that... Um, I've come to realize it's important to to bring forth first when I do the tours or the presentations is to and it has brought my own 
uh, relationship with the Lord in his sovereignty, to realize that all things, all times are his sovereignty, and that this is not some mistake. It is not something that is out of control. It is not something that um, ultimately man has uh, the last say in. It is his sovereign will working through uh, time. And so it, it brings a great confidence. It also is very connective in, in realizing we actually are affected by those who are faithful mm-hmm. to bring the gospel uh, in even uh, to the secular world uh, or the the common everyday. We have a university that has a heritage, although it's it's lost its Christian heritage, like so many of the universities. But we have a, a university that's one of the oldest in the West. Uh, we have a government that was established by Christians. You know, there aren't too many places at the outset of America we have this similarity. So we have foundation here that we've turned away from. That's why God says, remember me. But we have foundation that is about the gospel. It's about uh, what we are to be about today, so that for those uh, following, uh, we'll have that same reference point uh, of the gospel and God being exalted for his name and his word. Now, for families who are thinking about taking the uh, Christian Heritage Tour, what's the age range? How how young um, might you suggest and what might be too yeah. young? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I recommend that, that people, um, have at least, uh, 10 or 12 year olds and up, but I've had lots, especially homeschoolers who want to haul all their kids along. But if they're much younger than about 10 or 12, they're not going to get much of it. And it's, it's somewhat of a long day, um, and this is why I, I only charge for, um, in part, why I only charge for children 14 and up. <clears throat> uh, I have done presentations uh, and tours that are abbreviated and focused with younger uh, kids. I've spoken to fourth graders uh, at, um, um, at uh, Christian schools. So... I can uh, craft the presentation according to the age group, um, but the tours are really for, say, you know, 10, 12 and up, especially if they're homeschoolers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Again, the telephone number, if you're interested in more information, 503-709-0779. You can also email Vaughn at VaughnLongenecker at gmail.com. And again, the name is spelled, so you get that correctly, V-A-U-G-H-N-L-O-N-G-A. N-E-C-K-E-R. And again, we'll put that on the uh, the website so you can uh, uh, follow that. And you can find the events calendar at Christian News Northwest where there are details and uh, times for those tours as well. Well, Vaughn, I appreciate so much your taking time to talk with us today. But more importantly, I appreciate that you have spent the time to learn this history and are willing to pass that along to others. I know uh, my generation, which is pretty close to yours, and and younger people are going to uh, appreciate learning something of that history and the part that God is calling them to play now in the 21st century. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. Hey, thank you very much, Georgine, and look forward to seeing you on one of the tours. 
you know, I was just thinking as we were talking, I've been uh, planning to do this for years. I need to take this tour. Um, I'm more excited today than I was before. So, so I will be yeah. in touch. Hey, bring the staff and your family and uh, we'll do it. Okay. Hey, thank and you so if, much. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you as well. Okay. Bye bye. Again, bye-bye. Von Longenecker, Oregon Christian Heritage Tours. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to, I don't know, wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today it's with a heavy heart that I announce that a longtime friend of KPDQ and Salem Media has passed away. Now, most of us, we turn our radio on, we think, you know, it's just going to be there. But Frank Furnish was responsible for many of our listeners from places far from Portland who otherwise would have no access to the programming of KPDQ at all. And my guess is most of you have no idea who Frank Furnish was and what he did. Well, let me try to give you a little bit of background. Frank Furnish was the owner and the founder of Gospel Echo. He passed away on Sunday, the 10th of June. Now, for us here in uh, the radio industry, we recognize that this is a tremendous loss for the state of Oregon and places far from where we're broadcast from here in the Portland metro area. His memorial service was held this Saturday at Lighthouse Christian Church in Seaside, Oregon. And in fact, this program wouldn't be heard in Seaside had it not been for the work of Frank Furnish. Well, Frank had passed a, uh, had a passion, rather, for Christian radio, and that passion led him to establish the first FM translator on the West Coast. Now, what on earth is a translator? You turn on the, uh, the radio, and it just turns on. A, f- a translator extends the signal to places it otherwise would not reach. So he established the first FM translator on the West Coast. It was and still is located in Astoria and has uh, rebroadcast KPDQ FM since the day it began broadcasting. Well, since that time, Gospel Echo grew into a network of Christian radio translators all around the state of Oregon and in southwest Washington, bringing the good news of Christ to small towns. And while the Gospel Echo Translator Network is smaller now than it once was, that mission remains the same thanks to the passion of Frank Furnish. In other words, if you were uh, living in Seaside or in... um, Hood River, you wouldn't hear KPDQ, you wouldn't have that opportunity, but because of the work of Frank Furnish and his network of translators, the signal here was uh, expanded to places around the state of Oregon and in southwest Washington. Well, his obituary read, on June 10th, 2018, Frank Furnish Jr. passed away suddenly. Frank was born June 28th, 1938, to Frank and Stella Furnish in the town of Auburn, Washington. He grew up in Buckley, Washington, on a 40-acre farm with his sibling, Alan, Ted, Melinda, Patty, and Mary. Born with an entrepreneurial and inventing spirit, he had a paper route and his own bicycle shop during his high school years. He also participated in Future Farmers of America, track and golf, and became a statewide junior square dance champion. He graduated from Multnomah Bible College in 1963, where he met and fell in love with Beverly Sigurdsson, uh, and on the 10th of August in that same year, 1963, he married his sweetheart. Well, over the next nine years, they had five children, filling their home with laughter, busy feet, and chatter. Frank worked uh, a variety of jobs at the Department of Forestry, Boeing and Bell Bowie Crab Company. He also co-owned Gentle Haven, Inc., an adult foster care home in Seaside, Oregon, and served on the Oregon State Foster Home Association as a state representative. Dad had, uh, according to his son, was a natural MacGyver with duct tape. He was skilled 
skilled in a problem solving and inventing cheaper, more efficient solutions. And while some said he thought outside the box, we think he didn't know there was a box, his son writes. Passionate about the Bible and sharing God's love, Frank established Gospel Echo, Inc., GEI, a voluntary ministry that retranslated Christian radio stations into urban areas throughout the Northwest, such as K-Love and KPDQ. GEI grew to 24 translator stations and two Class A Christian radio stations. The king of corny jokes, he always had a colorful, animated story and joke to share with you, leaving you with a smile and feeling good about you. He was uh, not a quitter and never accepted a bad day. We will greatly miss his humor, his tenacity, his love of God and volunteer spirit to always help and love those around him. He is survived by his wife, Beverly, his siblings, Alan, Barbara, Mary, Ed, Patty and David, his children, Mark, Frank, and Teresa, Bobby Kay and Jim, Joanne, Stephanie, and James, his grandchildren, Zachary, Benjamin, and Allison, Alex, Rebecca, Ian, Jessica, uh, Luke, and Maddie, Gabriel, Kayla, and Abby, one great-grandson, Ives, and numerous nieces and nephews, as well as cousins. Again, the celebration of his life took place on Saturday. I uh, would love to have attended, but had made a previous commitment at a local church here. I spoke about it at the top of the program. I'd met Frank many years ago and was aware of his uh, of his work, of his tenacity, his willingness to spend his own time, his own resources to make this uh, this dream of his a possibility, making sure that Christian radio could reach into the far corners of the state of Oregon and in southwest Washington. He will greatly be missed. I still see that twinkle in his eye and that smile on his face whenever he came to the station. And I just wanted to acknowledge the tremendous contribution of Frank Furnish. And uh, let those of you who are listening via a translator that Gospel Echo is responsible for know that, uh, well, the founder of that capacity passed away. He has gone to be with the Savior he trusted in and loved so deeply. And um, I look forward to seeing him again. The scripture that appeared on his um, uh, the program from his fir- his funeral simply said this, his celebration of life. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he was committed to seeing to it that as many as possible would hear the word via Christian radio. Rest in peace, Frank Furnish. We will see you again one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Taking a look at the remainder of this week on the program, tomorrow we're going to talk with A.J. Svoboda. The book is titled Redeeming How We Talk, Discover How Communication Fuels Our Growth, Shapes Our Relationships, and Changes Our Lives. And don't we need some some coaching, if you will, on how to communicate with one another, especially if we have broad disagreements, and that tends to be the environment we find ourselves in today. Is civility dead? Is it possible to use the power of the tongue to sow peace rather than division. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Amy Lynn Nelson. The book is titled, It Matters, Looking for the Good Things in Life. And sometimes we have to search a little harder than other times. We're going to talk about how to look for the good things in life despite circumstances surrounding us. And on Thursday, Linda Wright will be my guest. She is the editor of a book that was written by the late Pamela Reeve. The book is titled Romance of a Protestant Nun, One Woman Surprised by Love. Now, those of you who read Pamela Reeve or knew her as a professor at the uh, seminary, you know that she was not Catholic, nor was she a nun, but it's a great description of a woman who devoted her life to serving Christ as a single woman, was a woman of significant intellect and influence, and she wrote this book in her um, her latter years, and it's been published and edited by her dear friend, Linda Wright. We're going to talk with her about our friend Pamela Reeve and the book that she wrote in her final days, Romance 
of a Protestant nun, one woman surprised by love. On Friday, we're going to lighten up and uh, take advantage of the fact that it's the end of the week and take a look at the lighter side of the news. So I hope you uh, will join us for that. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. As uh, we mentioned on Friday last, James Blinn had nerve enough to take a full week's vacation. I can't believe it. He took his family to uh, Disneyland and that other new theme park that's close by. Uh, Anyway, he'll be back next week, but we get Chris Williams all week long, so we're looking forward to working with him. Hey, thanks so much for listening and making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.